of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. We are now in overtime. That is the second half of the program where we are online only. We have freed ourselves from the shackles of the FCC censors. Hell yeah. Uncensored. Uncancelable. That's what uh, that's what we are in this half of the show. We have 21 people watching, 14 likes. Let's get those numbers up. Like and subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcasting app, please rate us five stars, if you would. Uh, share with family, friends, coworkers, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, leave a review, leave a good review. Can't that stuff really does help. It really does. They we, say it does. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. Anything we, you can yeah. do, uh, you know, the word of mouth sharing on social media, it does make a difference. We, we appreciate it. We've had a lot of extra visibility in the last mm-hmm. few weeks. Um, but we are facing a budget crunch. We're trying to raise $5,000 by Labor Day. So uh, anything you can do, if you can contribute financially, of course, that would be greatly appreciated. TVLR.fm slash donate. Uh, but even if you can't, just talking to folks mm-hmm. about the show, telling folks about the show and sharing on social media, yeah. liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that stuff, uh, it all helps. And it is really appreciated because this is a, a definitely a collective project. Absolutely. Uh, Michael McCoy in the YouTube chat, uh, really appreciate the compliments and very sorry for your situation, having lost your job and at risk of uh, of losing your house. I can't imagine that situation. I uh, really wish you the best of luck um, as you search for new employment. Um, Tyler, Ma- uh, Tyler asks, uh, have we talked about UPS yet? No, we haven't. We will be shortly. In fact, Adam... Um, as soon as we finish talking about this teacher stuff in Alabama, we can go ahead and open the phone lines. The phone lines are not open yet, but they will be soon, 844-899-TVLR. We've got another couple of things to talk about. Uh, phone lines aren't going to be open as long today as they have been, um, and we're not going to be spending as much time today talking about UPS as we have been, but uh, we are still going to be, be talking about we've got We've got a very funny clip to react to about UPS. So uh, let's start talking about... Um, Adam, the Alabama Education Association. We love teachers here. We wo- we love workers and we love unions. Um, the Alabama Education Association is an affiliate of the National Education Association, which is ostensibly the largest te- the largest union in the country uh, with three million members. Um, and in some states, they do explicitly act like a union and they call themselves a union. But in Alabama, they do not. <laughs> they don't have collective bargaining rights here in Alabama. They don't want collective bargaining rights here in Alabama. They do not bill themselves as a union. They bill themselves as a professional association. 
and they, uh, you know, don't do a whole lot of organizing, but they do a lot of lobbying. And um, so talk to us about the AEA's strategy over the last few years and uh, and what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> sure, yeah. There's been some news with education and, uh, and the Republican Party. And, and AEA has come up quite a bit. Uh, before I get into that, I want to first just kind of preface it by some comments that Governor Kay Ivey made, right? Kay Ivey made some news a couple of weeks ago. She went on Capitol Journal, which is, you know, the Alabama public television show that the politicians go on every week. And she talked about school choice saying, quote, it's very important for our parents to have choices of where to send their children for school, whether it's public, private, homeschooled, or whatever. The goal is to get our children a quality education. We are working now already on an ESA bill, an education savings account bill, to present to the legislature in the next session, and I'm very optimistic that it will pass. So that's what the governor said. Um, <clears throat> Interestingly enough, uh, last I checked, parents already have those choices and public, private, homeschool or whatever <laughs> already exists. And uh, you can do those things. Right. Um, what, of course, Governor Ivey and her allies are advocating for is state funding for privatized education. Uh, and so the education savings account bill uh, is just another word for vouchers, more or less. And as she said, she's very optimistic about it coming up for uh, passage and, and her getting to sign that. And so that's interesting because the last few years, school choice and the right wing attacks on public education have not really been super successful in the Alabama legislature. Um, there's been some you know, incremental building of school choice is what K.I.V. called it. And uh, I think that's fair to, to say. And, you know, the last few years, you've seen growth in the budget, right? So the, the budgets have been growing. Uh, there has not been a, a wholesale expansion of vouchers or charter schools. And so, you know, it's been interesting to see it play out where there's rhetoric within the Republican Party uh, around these issues and also around culture war issues that they've integrated into education issues. Uh, for example, um, you know, don't say gay bills or uh, critical race theory and some of the controversies around that. So we've seen a lot of rhetoric coming from the Republican Party. But, you know, in terms of what's actually been passing out of Montgomery in the last few years, you know, education hasn't been... Uh, as attacked as you might would imagine, at least successfully, <clears throat> it looks like that could change very soon. Uh, there's a gentleman named John Wall, real interesting fella uh, from North Alabama, who is the chair of the Republican Party in Alabama, and he's made some news recently. Uh, he has been very upset that the AEA has been in bed with so many Republicans. So as I mentioned, the last few years, you know, hasn't been uh, a ton of school choice expansion or, or, you know, austerity budgets or some of the other things that we typically see. 
And this spring or summer, AEA, you know, was was very uh, was bragging about their legislative session. Uh, felt they were very successful in their goals, in their lobbying goals, uh, and uh, you know, by their metrics, I think arguably they were. And so, you know, there was you know a modest pay raise. The budgets grew, and there was no major school choice legislation passed. And that really upset John Wall, the chair of the Republican Party. He's very upset that, you know, AEA is supposedly so successful with a Republican supermajority in the legislature. And, of course, Republican domination of the judicial and executive branches as well. And, you know, one thing he wants to target are the donations made by AEA or its its PAC, AVOTE. They want to target those donations that are being made to Republican candidates uh, because, you know, a key strategy of AEA in the last few years has been to donate large sums of money to Republican candidates. And, you know, essentially they've been trying to build this coalition of Democrats who are in the super minority and just enough Republicans, predominantly from rural areas where public schools are you know, one of the largest employers in the, in the county and uh, school choice is really very appealing. So this coalition of, you know, primarily re uh, Republicans from rural areas alongside the Democrats, you know, who make up just enough to kill these bad bills for public schools. And so that's been a big, big strategy. And uh, John Wall in the Republican Party has issued calls to ban contributions from AEA for Republican candidates for school board and superintendent. Uh, and he's kind of looking into the legislature as well. Um, and, and that's going to be interesting because many of the Republican legislators who are very influential in the party in the legislature, you know, they've gotten $25,000 checks from AEA. Uh and now that doesn't necessarily change some of their rhetoric uh, and some of these very same people are some of the same folks that are that are voting for divisive concepts bills uh, and anti-LGBT bills and things of that nature. Uh, so but yeah, there's a there's a contradiction there. Um, we'll see which factions within the Republican Party went out uh, in the interview with uh, Patrick Darrington, John Wall talked to Patrick Darrington with the Alabama Political Reporter, he called AEA, quote, a liberal education union, which I find hilarious uh, because it is not a union. As you said, Jacob, they are very adamant that they don't want to be called a union, don't want to operate like a union. They do not associate themselves with the labor movement. Um, and so they are also not liberal. Uh, the folks in leadership are, are quite conservative. I know them personally. They are conservative politically and in other ways. And um, so, yeah, it's it's not a liberal uh, outfit. Um, they have given more you, money to Republicans than well, Democrats. You're saying that they're not <clears throat> liberal because they're Marxist, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. That, that must be what it is. They must be those crazy radicals. Um, yeah, so it's just wild that it's wild that the the vision that John Wall has of this like left wing militant union uh, really only exists in their imagination. Uh, what it actually is is 
very Republican friendly, conservative professional organization um, that has much more in common with like Alpha Insurance than they do the Chicago Teachers Union. If we're being honest, if we actually take an honest assessment of where they stand and, and where things actually play out in Alabama. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend this article with APR and Patrick Darrington. Uh, the interview John Wall gave was very interesting. He, of course, points out NEA as being uh, another like boogeyman. Apparently, NEA is at conflict with parents. Uh, now, he can't exactly explain how, um, but he's bound and determined to let you know that NEA is uh, at war with parents and parental rights. Mm. You know, again, rights to what? Um, it's not entirely clear, uh, but it's just, it's interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, he escalated by saying uh, that they don't want to accept, uh, they don't want to allow Republican candidates for school board or superintendent accept AEA money. And, you know, that's, that's a whole new level, you know, for the mm. party to come out and say, you cannot run as a candidate for these positions if you take money from this entity, you know, that's a big deal. Mm. Uh, that's, that's an escalation. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see, you know, how it plays out. It's interesting, um, how it plays out with AEA because, right, they're trying to do this delicate dance of balancing the needs of their members and the diversity of their members and, this coalition they're assembling that involves Republicans and, you know, trying to cater towards Republicans. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, long story short, you know, you go to bed with snakes and you're going to get bit. And so AEA is giving a lot of money to Republicans and here the Republicans are are out here bashing them and making them out to be left wing, which is, uh, believe me, I know personally that that freaks them out. They don't want to be left wing. They're far from it. They're very mm -hmm. far from that. Uh, they want to be accepted as part of the conservative establishment. And so, but, right. you know, they just have that love-hate relationship going on, I guess, and we'll see how it, how it shakes out. Uh, but it looks like the, the bigger news is for teachers and students and people who depend upon the public education system, uh, it is definitely in the crosshairs for the legislative session ahead. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we're going to be on the side of AEA to a certain extent as they fight against, you know, uh, the privatization of public schools. But sure, um, we are uh, very, very critical of the way that they're going about that fight. And and I think I think that you know, uh, I think they took a gamble, and and I think it's very likely that this session they're going to lose. Right. Yeah. I mean, and maybe we're wrong. Maybe this continues to play out because, like I said, the last few years they can argue. Mm -hmm. This strategy has been working. Right. Uh, you know, now ask the rank and file teacher across the state, do you feel like you're winning? Mm. Are you tired of winning yet? Right. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think there's a lot that is unaddressed when it comes to working conditions, when it comes to uh, budget equity, when it comes to equity as a, as a concept in terms of not just the staff, but the students. Um, there's a lot that's unaddressed in public education in Alabama. Uh, so, you know, it, that there again, it's kind of in a weird bind. Like, you know, it wants to brag about its success, but 
Hmm. That also sort of contradicts with the lived experiences of so many educators across the state who are really uh, working extremely hard in extremely difficult circumstances and are not properly resourced, trained, supported, or compensated. Yep. Uh, let's talk about the UAW. UAW, the United Auto Workers Union, have begun bargaining with the big three automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis. And they began the bargaining with a bang. We talked about we opened the um, uh, we talked about the bargaining as it opened, um, and we talked about how traditionally the leadership of the UAW began the bargaining session with a president's handshake between the president of the UAW and the CEOs of the big three, and that was this big you know kumbaya. Team, team partnership kind of symbolism there. And this time, the new leadership of the United Auto Workers, Sean Fain, um, and the United Auto Workers for Democracy slate, uh, they called it the Members United slate, they did not do that, which I think is very good. They started, it with, they started negotiations with a member's handshake. And the international president went to multiple factories and shook hands with members and asked them what they're wanting to see from negotiations. And of course, that's not the only time that they've solicited input from the members. There's been a long, you know, there, there's been a lot of solicitation from the members about what they want to see in these, these negotiations, is my understanding. And so that is a much better way to start off uh, to start off negotiations, in my opinion. Um, and that combative militant attitude um, that we kind you know that we saw in the run up to and during the negotiations between the Teamsters and UPS, there was much more you know much more militant and combative rhetoric, and there was an intentional raising of the expectations of Teamsters members, and that is happening right now with UAW members. And so last week, International President Sean Fain did a live stream on Facebook and YouTube updating the members about, uh, you know, about the negotiations and, and giving an overview of the profits of the big three automakers and comparing that to the state of a current employee at the big three automakers. So let's start off with this clip where Sean Fain talks about how much money the big three automakers have made over the past decade. So as you can see, I have some props with me today for this Facebook Live. I want to draw your attention to the first image, which is literally ripped from last week's headlines. The Big Three released their quarterly earnings reports last week, and the companies again are having a blockbuster year. As you can see from these headlines, profits soar or profits at GM are soaring. Profits at Stellantis are record-breaking, and profits at Ford's, I'm sorry, at Ford are surging. Altogether, the big three have made a combined bottom-line profit of $21 billion in the first half of 2023. And now, they're telling Wall Street their profits for the full year will be billions more than they originally expected. This comes on top of the quarter of a trillion dollars that the big three collectively made in North American profits over the last 10 years. So what have the big three done with these staggering profits? Instead of rewarding the workers 
who spent long hours wrecking their bodies on the line to make these profits possible. The big three have funneled billions into stock buyback schemes that artificially inflate the value of company shares and further enrich company executives and the top 1%. That's billions of dollars that have been robbed from the workers who made these profits possible. That's billions of dollars that weren't spent on the EV transition. So when the big three say the future is uncertain and that the EV transition is expensive, remember that they've made a quarter of a trillion in North American profits over the last decade and have poured billions of it into special dividends, stock buybacks, and supersized executive compensation. Our message going into bargaining is clear. Record profits mean record contracts. There you go. Uh... I mean, those are just the facts, right? He's just laying out the facts, and it's important that people understand that. You know, when these when when these companies begin to 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 cry poor at the negotiating table, as they're now coming out and saying, "Oh, these demands are too they're too much. They're asking for too much." Just remember the historical record of what is going on at these companies in the last 10 years. They're making record profits while the real compensation of employees is going down. And I mean, by the way, I mean, I think as consumers, we can see that the quality of the product is, is going down. You know, vehicles used to last forever, forever. And now it, it you can, you know, there's a lot of times that you can barely make it to 100,000 miles. Um, and people, you know, people blame that. I've heard, I've heard people attempt to blame, the, blame that on the employees saying, oh, well, you know, look, the UAW produced cars, they don't last as long as some of the Japanese produced cars like Hyundai or Toyota. And uh, that is so silly because <laughs> the UAW workers are not the ones who make the decisions about what materials to use. They're not the ones who decide what designs to go with. They're not the ones doing, you know, that is that is totally out of what they're doing. That is not within their purview. That is all management. That is all management prerogative about what is produced and how it's produced and to what quality it's produced. They can only control what they, can, what they do on the line. So the product quality, absolutely not their fault. Uh, but we have seen, I mean, you know, we've seen it decline. We've seen it decline. And all of this on the consumer end and on the worker end, declining, uh, uh, you know, declining expectations from these big three automakers while they're making more money than they ever have. Literally, literally more money than they ever have. So remember that when they start to cry poor. And just to illustrate some of what I'm saying about the declining living standards of, of big three employees. Let's play the second clip from Sean Fain. <clears throat> While big three executives have used those extreme profits to pump up their pay, our members have fallen further and further behind. This chart compares what our contracts provided in 2007 compared to what they provide today. As you can see here, an auto worker starting at a big three company in 2007 had a higher starting wage than an auto worker starting in 2023. And that's without taking inflation into account. If the 2007 starting rate had kept up with inflation, 
newly hired big three employees would be making $28.68 in today's wages. That's more than $10 an hour higher than the current rate. That's almost $21,000 more per year. That's a life-changing amount of money that our members have been robbed of. Sorry, I got to take a drink here. But as many of you know, that's not the full story. The starting pay today is even lower for our temporary workers. Ford and GM hire temps at $16.67 an hour. Stellantis hires temps at just $15.78 an hour. That is criminal. In 2007, it took three years for a new hire to reach the top rate back then of $28 an hour. Today, 16 years later, it takes eight years to reach a top rate of around $32 an hour. Even that top rate is much lower than it should be. During the Great Recession, we lost cost of living adjustments, which made sure that our paychecks kept up with inflation. We won cost of living at General Motors all the way back in 1948. And then when inflation took off in the 1970s, the UAW won cost of living across all of our employers to ensure that our standard of living didn't fall further behind. The big three have come roaring back since the Great Recession, but cost of living, which was suspended then, has not. Prior to 2007, every member at the big three earned a pension and every member received health care when they retired. Today, the majority of our members across the big three automakers are second class of workers who are being denied retiree health care and pensions. When you put these two images together, they paint a damning picture of what's happening, not just in our industry, but across the economy. The rich are getting richer, while the rest of us are getting left behind. And just to add a couple of other statistics, it would take... So one of the issues that they're trying to fight in these negotiations is not only the second tier of workers in the big three automakers, like their their kind of standard plants, but also the battery production plants, right. uh, which are in many cases non-union, not all, uh, but in many cases non-union. And even where they are unionized, the employers have not budged and, and they are significantly below. Even the second tier of employees at the standard big three manufacturing plants. And just to illustrate that, a production worker coming off the street working at Ultium uh, which is a, a uh, electric battery manufacturer owned by one of the big three, they only make $16 an hour. While the CEO, Mary Barra, I think she is the CEO of GM, she makes $29 million a year. It would take an Ultium employee working full-time 16 years to make not what Mary Barra makes in a year. Not even what it takes her to make in six months. Or even one month. Or even two weeks. It would take an Ultium employee 16 years working full time to make what this CEO makes in one week. Wow. Insane. Additionally, 
These companies have closed 65 plants in the last 10 years, and the majority of those plants were not closed during or immediately following the recession. Rather, they were closed in periods of high and record profits for the big three automakers. And so, as a response to all of this, the declining standards of workers, the plant closures, the disrespect that workers face from the big three automakers, ah. they have put out, the UAW has put out, the members' demands. Apparently, they used to call the list of the bargaining priorities that the UAW would present to the big three, they used to call those the president's demands. They're calling them the members' demands this time. And those demands are to... Eliminate tiers on wages and benefits, give substantial wage increases at 46% over the next four years. They want to restore COLA, the cost of living adjustment. They want a defined ben benefit pension plan for all workers. They want to reestablish retiree medical benefits. They want a right to strike over plant closures. They want working a working family protection program. And this is really, really cool. That would mandate that the companies, if they leave, which the workers will have more leverage in the event that they try to leave a plant if these if they get all of these bargaining priorities, because they'd have the right to strike over plant closures. But even if the company is able to successfully close a plant. Uh, if they're able to get this in the contract, the Working Families Protection Program, it would require the big three automakers to pay UAW members to do community service in the communities that the big three automaker decided to abandon. That is a fantastic idea. Um, they also want to end the abuse of temp workers, drastically reduce the use of temp workers, convert I think he said all current temporary employees to full-time employees. They want to significantly increase retiree pay, and they want more paid time off for their families, including a four-day <coughs> work week. They want 32 hours of work for 40 hours of pay. Uh, and that would right be on. a huge, huge deal. And it is about <laughs> time that somebody is coming out with this because if you just look at how much productivity has increased over the last, since we won the 40-hour work week, think about right. we produce, I don't know how much more it is, but it's, <laughs> it is like an order of magnitude larger. We produce more value, so much, like 10 times more value than we were producing in an hour back when we won the 40-hour work week. And now, we are moving backwards. We're not moving forwards. We're moving backwards. Instead of having that productivity go into the workers who produce the value, instead of us taking home, us being able to benefit from the increased productivity, from the increased value that we're making, that's all going into the CEO's pockets. And we are getting the same and in sometimes declining rates of compensation and working more. Right. Sean right. Fain was talking about how UAW members at Big Three Automakers are now working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week. That is, and, and he said that's not 
thriving, that's just surviving. And, and that's absolutely true. And, and he mentioned, and I, I thought it was very powerful, how he was in a group in his church and there was a minister who, who in that small group at his church who routinely did deathbed consultations. And he said that this, this minister uh, told the group that he had never, in all of his deathbed consultations, heard anybody say that they wish they had spent more time at work. And in fact, right. it was very common that people regretted not spending more time with their families. And that's what we're talking about, right? That's People lose sight of that. People just think about the money when we're talking about how much should people make, how much should people work. They lose sight of the fact that when we work for a company, when we create value for a company, when we create profit for these ghouls and leeches at the top, we are selling our life. That's what it is. We are selling pieces of our life to these people. And they are not respecting that. They are not giving us enough for the value of our life. And that's what they're trying to address here, not only with the increased wages, but I think, I mean, the thing that I am, I'm really most excited about is this push to decrease working hours, because that is so important. And we have really, really lost sight of that as a labor movement and as a society. And we have, we have allowed so much encroachment into what precious little time we have on this earth. Right. We have allowed too much of it to be stolen by people making a profit from us. Yeah, I I really agree with you, and I, I think it's huge that they're including that as a demand, and I so agree with it because, you know, we came close to a 30-hour work week in the 30s. Um, our movement really aspired to that, and our movement has always fought to preserve time for family, preserve time at home uh, for rest and for what you will. And I think it's really about time that we put that demand back on the table, that we need to reduce the number of working hours. As you said, productivity has skyrocketed. Uh, it, there's, there are climate implications as well. If you listen to the economists who've studied this and, and how uh, climate and the economy intersect, there's reasons to believe that working less is actually good for the uh, environment. And... Um, Beyond the fact that it's good for our social development, it's right. good for our families, it's good for our communities. Uh, and just to put some numbers to it, from 1948 through 1979, productivity and compensation were, you know, around the same, right? There's, there was a little difference, um, but they, they both rose at about the same rates. But from 1979 to 2021, productivity and compensation totally... Uh, took off at different rates, right? Productivity increased over the last few decades, 64.6%. Mm. Hourly pay only increased 17.3%, right? So productivity has grown 3.7 times more than our pay, mm. all right? And so that is just to put some numbers to what you're, you're expressing here, that productivity has increased. We as working people have not seen that value 
that value has been collected by the top and it's about time uh, that we get some of that back and I say we get some of our time back uh, because so many folks are out here working more than 40 hours a week and we have to reset the standard for our lives and for our living conditions and our working conditions we got to reset the standards too many people are working 50 60 hours a week too many people are having to combine multiple jobs to and work 50 60 hours a week right they're not even getting overtime pay they're still draining that much of their life and they're not even getting the overtime premium so many people are working in jobs where yeah they get time and a half but what if they had a union and could get double time what if they could have premiums uh, you know, during for over eight hours in one day or premiums for working after midnight. And, and you know, those are the kinds of things that a union can provide you. So, uh, you know, really appreciate some of the demands being brought out and just wishing all the best for UAW in these negotiations and, you know, hoping that the members can organize and really push to to get the best kind of contract possible. Absolutely. And that, you know, that differential 64% increase in productivity, 17% increase in wages. That differential, that is not... It's just important to understand that that value is not lost, right? It is out there. It is real. It's just not being taken by us, by the people who create, who produce, by the people who make, by the people who do. It's being taken by the people who own. That's the, the 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 question is not does this money get created? Does this value get created? Does somebody go home with extra money from this extra productivity? That's not the question. That money is there, it is being created, that value is being created, that profit is being created. The only question, the only question is who gets it? Who gets it? And right now it's the people at the top, the people who are make, making money off of money, not the people who are making money off of labor. Uh, that's who's taking it, and so really excited about the UAW and the Teamsters trying to uh, trying to take it back. And uh, not everybody, <laughs> not everybody is excited about that. Uh, not everybody is as excited about that as we are. And uh, to illustrate that point, let's take a look at what Jim Cramer on CNBC was saying. Interestingly, Jim Cramer still on the. Still on the TV, despite the fact that analysis has shown that if you took every piece of investment advice that Jim Cramer gave, you would be uh, have lost a lot of money. <laughs> I don't remember what this figure was, but you would have lost money. You would not have have made money. Uh, but some, and and that's just that's another funny thing, right? His job is ostensibly to inform and to and to make people money as a business TV host, as a business journalist. As somebody informing people who are buying stocks, I yeah, ostensibly this is a, his job is to beat the stock market, and he's not performing, and yet he has only failed upwards and is no doubt making more money right now than he ever have has in his career, despite proven failures. And that's another thing that we don't talk about is the people in the media elite and the people at the top. They do not have the same performance standards that we do. If workers routinely and consistently failed to perform the duties of our job, we would be fired. Right. Even if we're in a union workplace, right? right? 
right. but but not these people. Not these people. They can continue to make terrible investment decisions, give terrible investment, I mean, make terrible investment decisions like the CEO at Yellow who ran his company into bankruptcy. He's going to continue to be wealthy. No doubt he's probably going to get another CEO position. But the workers at Yellow are being blamed for the for uh for the bankruptcy and uh and in the same way Jim Cramer is able to give terrible investment advice, put total bullshit out on the airwaves and he is continuing to have employment. Let's listen to this. Exaggeration. How about the way that UPS stock initially went up on that on that deal? Yes. And then people see that maybe the Teamsters got the best of it. Although it's a good thing for the U.S. economy that there is not going it, to be it, a UPS strike. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was very important for the U.S. I do want to know whether Ford is going to talk about whether there's a more of an issue with, with the UAW. Then Carol Tomei talked about being an issue with, with Teamsters. Very important to watch that because, because when you look at the way GM traded, it started going down when Mary Barra, the CEO, glossed over the union issue. That's a big mistake. Sean Fain reminds me of the 1930s UAW, which we don't want. Dave, we also didn't mention... Uh, that is absolutely not true for working people. Working people absolutely want the UAW of the 1930s because the UAW of the 1930s is the UAW that won the eight-hour workday and the 40-hour workweek. Those are the, the UAW of the 1930s is the UAW that created so many of the standards that working people across the country take for granted. And so, but, you know, the UAW of the 1930s also took more of the value that they created from people like Jim Cramer. And that's why he's scared, and that's why he doesn't want it. Not because it's not good for the economy, not even because it's not good for business. Of course, the big three could still be could still be productive and competitive even if they paid their workers more. And in fact, there is evidence to suggest that if you pay your workers more and you treat them better, uh, actually they, they, uh, they're more productive and they can do better. Uh, and you'll be even more competitive. And we saw an example of that over the pandemic with UPS. UPS, because of the significantly higher pay and compensation, was better able to retain staff over the pandemic and were better positioned to take advantage of the surge of online purchasing than other carriers like FedEx. They made significantly more product, uh, more profits over the pandemic than FedEx did, and that is because UPS was able to retain staff while FedEx was not. So... Um, so it's not because it's not good for the economy, not because it's not good for the consumer, not because it's not good for business. It's because the UAW of the 1930s, if that attitude and that militancy and that effectiveness was brought back, it would take money out of out of uh, the pockets of people like him. Um, yeah, always important when they say we right. on, on TV, who's the we they're talking about? Exactly, exactly. Um, so let's, uh, he had an, an, there was another clip from Jim Cramer last week. So let's, uh, let's take a look at that one. Uh, can, I want you to compare the labor negotiations here to the ones in auto, where I think there's going to be a strike and I think it's going to be horrible. You're making that call September today? 14th. I think they're going to strike. Uh, this, the, man, uh, 
Chauvin, the guy who runs the UAW. I find him frightening. And, and Teamsters UPS didn't give you any solace. Teamsters turned out to be uh, get a good deal. Uh, Teamsters historically very powerful union, rich union. Uh, but the, the UAW leader won. There was a contested, very contested vote between the company, the union that wants to work for, with the autos together to try to preserve some jobs and give the elder uh, people a good, good pay. And then this man, Sean, who is just talking about capitalism and the nature of capitalism and how it's really hurt workers. This is very Walter Ruther uh, language. It's a, uh, it, it's the kind of language that when we when we had in this country, uh, we'll take you down if you don't play ball. That's the language I'm hearing from UAW. Yep. And look, I mean, it's the kind of language where you just say, you know what, we should have built all our EVs in Mexico. It's that bad. I don't think people are paying enough attention. The man is. I'm not saying he's irrational. I'm saying he was elected sure. in order to make it so that there's a very short week to find benefit back. And, and then the notion that that we're fat cats, the the shareholders are fat cats and have been overly rewarded. We haven't seen this. That's he's class warfare. And it's very shocking to hear class. Although warfare. I remember. Oh, okay. it's shocking. Just, yeah. Just pause it there. Yeah. I mean, that's his whole thing. His whole run up to this is just lamenting the fact that Sean Fain is accurately reciting reality. Yes. <laughs> He's accurate. Sean Fain is looking at the world, making accurate observations, and relaying those observations to the membership and to the public and to the United States uh, working class. He's making accurate assessments and I mean, uh, Jim Cramer didn't even, you know, it's not even like there was even a challenge really to any of this stuff. It's just that he didn't like it. You know, he said this notion that we're that, that the shareholders are fat cats, that's class warfare. He didn't say that's wrong. He didn't say it's incorrect that they got too much. He didn't even say that it would be that it would be bad for business necessarily. It's just that people like him are going to make a little bit less money. And and for that he said, we should have been producing these things in Mexico, where we can take advantage of low wages, terrible working conditions, and basically slaves and corrupt company unions. How do you, how do you justify that? It's yeah. because you don't have like a human-centered kind of ideology. It's because there, you have a profit-centered ideology. It's because you don't care about people. You care about money and the right. number in your bank account. right. Yeah, where your soul is supposed to be is just dollar signs. Yeah. And it's pretty disturbing. Jim Cramer a while ago who lamented the shift from capital to labor. I'm sorry, from, from labor, labor to, to capital, capital over the last 30 years. Well, I, I always felt that the middle class benefited from unions. I've been a union member, twice union member, and I always felt that you could work together and everybody would do well. I never felt that I, we had to destroy the people that we were fighting. I, I helped. I was part of a J.P. Stevens, was a, at one point a great textile company, uh, walk stoppage, try to block them, and they they went under. And I've always regretted that that I was part of that because J.P. Stevens. That's we didn't want them to go under. We right. wanted them to, you know, we, it was like bond. 
Do you want me to? We, we just wanted them to talk. We didn't want them to die. And so I'm always very uh, reluctant to see a union use such language that makes it feel like that it's, that it's zero sum. I, but I am pro-union because the unions, in, in the way that Ronald Reagan was pro-union, it's like, yeah, you want people to do well. You don't oh. want people to have money. I am, uh, there was a really funny tweet uh, responding Pro to Pro in the way Ronald Reagan was. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's like, I am pro chicken in the way that a fox is. <laughs> right. I am, you know, I am pro death row inmate in the way that an ex- ex- executioner is. You know, I mean, these it's ins- uh, it that's just wild. Totally. I mean, you know, re- revelatory. Right. That's wild. They let this man. Not only do they let this man <laughs> talk on TV, they pay they, him money. They pay him large sums of money. They pay him money. He gets money to say this stuff. Health care. I mean, they, you know, unions can be good, but this is toxic. It's very toxic. Uh, yeah, that's what's toxic. Not the yeah. gap in productivity and wages not the decline in living standards right it's it's sean fain's rhetoric that's what's toxic okay get real dude yeah really really wild stuff uh and so of course you know as you would expect the big three is not happy about this they're criticizing the uaw's demands as unreasonable um as uh you know as unreasonable and not good and, and not warranted not warranted. And in fact, Mary Barra in an interview said that job security is not something you negotiate. It's something you earn. Wow. Yeah. She's really, really, I mean, she wants to, you know, she wants to take the workers down a peg. She thinks, I mean, she thinks that the, that the UAW members make too much right now. She would like to see a world where they make less. And their employment is more precarious and they have yes. less rights in the workplace and less security, right. less security for their family. Yeah. Really wild stuff here from, you know, the, the uh, you know, the leeches at the top of the, at, at the top of society. Um so we're going to obviously stay on this um, and, and looking forward to more updates. And I have uh, I, I'm talking to people that I know in the international UAW about uh, trying to get somebody on the show to talk about this. Um, so we'll we'll keep you updated and maybe we'll have a guest on to talk about the UAW negotiations soon. Um, there's another story about bad working conditions that I think is really interesting. Uh, More Perfect Union reported on it last week, and that is that some of the cast of Love is Blind, a reality TV show where for the first, I don't know, week or something, for the first little while, the contest it's a dating show. The, the contestants date each other, but they can't see each other. Right? right. So they're behind these, you know, so they can only hear the voice. And so, you know, love is blind. So the, the idea is, oh, if you just get to know somebody, is that going to, you know, are you going to be able to to love them without looking at them or whatever? I've seen it. Uh, it's an interesting show. Very cringy as any reality TV show is. Um, but uh, something to consider about this is that, uh, you know, for the contestants, 
that is, I mean, that's labor. They're creating value for the companies that they're produ- that they're making this for. Right. And so they have to be compensated for it. And, and um, let's not forget, this is a cheaper alternative that mm-hmm. studios mm-hmm. go to as opposed to paying for real actors and writers. I mean, and that's not to, you know, be dismissive of the folks who do actually work on these reality TV shows. I get mm-hmm. it. But, you know we know that this this is part of it that's part right. of the business model is is this is typically cheaper than um you know scripted television right um and so you know they have to be compensated for their time on the show and the conditions that they're on the show are their working conditions and uh and and the pay and the conditions were so bad that that the some of the cast is now suing and because they're alleging that that not only were they just bad, they weren't enjoyable or they weren't enough, that they were so bad, in fact, that they violated California law and federal law. So let's hear this clip uh, from More Perfect Union. They are in control of every element of your life. You're put in a hotel room and you don't have a key. You don't have access to water unless you want to drink it out of the faucet or the shower. We're all just sitting there not being fed um, on any kind of regular cadence, uh, but definitely being fed a lot of alcohol. My body was just exhausted and, and dehydrated and hungry. There's three blueberries, Use, eat them sparingly. I lost 15 pounds in three weeks from the pods in Mexico. And looking at my suit, it's I had that thing tailored like the week before coming. And like a perfect fit, right? Like a perfect yeah. fit, yeah. You no, know, it's like your, your first suit out of undergrad, right? You just go to right. Macy's and pick, 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 yeah, pick up whatever's on yeah. sale. We didn't have any autonomy at all. Not only did they take our phones, they took our wallets, they took our IDs, they took our passports, all in the same instance, without telling us ahead of time this was going to happen. And we were filming 18 to 20 hours a day. The only time we weren't being filmed was when the union crews swapped out for a new crew because they had met their maximum for the day. You never see daylight unless you're allowed to use the bathroom, which is a trailer outside. They keep you in the state where you really have no idea how much time has transpired. It's one of those things where looking back on it, if someone told me it was a month, I might have believed them. Mm. Wow. That yeah. is wild. That yeah, I had no idea that it was that bad. And in fact, later in the clip, I would encourage people to people to go watch that. It's about a ten minute video on YouTube. More Perfect Union. Um, the they they also said that if you add up all of the time that they were working, um, and then you divide their compensation by that, they were only paid seven dollars and fourteen cents an hour. Wow. Uh, yeah. I I feel like Netflix can afford more than that. That's... And not paid overtime, not paid time and a half. Right, right. So really, really, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, genuinely terrible conditions. That does not sound enjoyable. No, not uh, at all. Not at all. Like, and you know, I'm sure when you sign up to be on a reality TV show, you know you're getting in mm-hmm. for certain things. But that right. seems like really beyond the pale. Yeah, well, and, you know, he talked about how some of this stuff they didn't realize they were getting into. Right. But they had to sign a form at the beginning saying that basically opening themselves up for a lawsuit if they left in the middle of taping, uh, saying that I recognize that if I leave before the contest is over, that I am costing the 
corporation no less than $50,000. Wow. And so if you left, you are in all, for any reason, you're in all likelihood going to be, you know, the Netflix is going to try to take $50,000 from that you is... at least. And so, you know, he's talking about all this stuff that they didn't realize going into it. They didn't realize that they weren't going to be fed. Yeah. They like gonna... this shouldn't be legal. Yeah. It just shouldn't be legal. That they weren't going to be fed, that they weren't going to have access to their phones, they weren't going to have access to their wallets, or their IDs? That's insane. Yeah. And so they didn't know all of that going in, but before, and, and he said that in response to, you know, he said that he gets some people commenting, like like you said, that, that you know, oh, you knew what you were getting into, blah, blah, you know, stop being so whiny. And and the fact is that they didn't know what they were getting into, but they did know that if they left, it's going to cost them 50 grand. Right. And uh, I don't know about you and I don't know about the uh, economic condition of a lot of these contestants, but $50,000 is not something I could just pay at the drop of a hat. No, no. I mean, if you were holding $50,000 over my head, I would be your hostage. Yeah. Like, there's just no, no deba- debate about right. that. So, um, yeah, I would just have to deal with it. Uh, whatever whatever you did to me, that's pretty disturbing. Yeah. Uh, very exploiting, like, just exploiting a weakness, I mm-hmm. think, in, in contracts uh, and just in protection that these folks don't have. I mean, so... Yeah, uh, I don't know. Unionize the reality TV show contestants, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an organization. You can uns. What was it? Unscripted something actors. I don't know. You can at U C A N is the thing, and it's like an advocacy group for reality TV people. Um, so, so that seems like a start. Yeah, uh, seems like a start. Yeah, I, I mean. What if folks are making money, if there is a commodity that is being produced and people are making money and there's labor involved, uh, labor needs to be protected and labor right. needs to be organized. That's my thoughts on it. So we just finished watching Jim Cramer a little bit ago, and he is not the only wealthy person who's freaking out about <laughs> about blue collar workers making too much money. There's this fellow called Patrick Bet David. He is a an entrepreneur. Uh he, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He made his money. Let's see. Well, we don't have to talk about how he made his money yet. Let's just let's hear his opinions without me poisoning the well. Let's hear what he had to say uh without me poisoning the well about UPS employees. All right, let's, let's make sure I get the right one here. In in UPS, if you were to compare UPS strike versus Hollywood strike, which one they... The one that is... Um, wage or surprise? Wage, wage. Yeah, All right. What do you think is the average pay for a full-time employee <laughs> now at UPS? Don't say anything, Tom. What do you think? UPS. UPS! 
Yes. Hey, Vinny, what could Brown do for you? Give me the F- answer. $55,000 Okay, full-time, right? Full-time. I'm, right. I'm assuming those people want to full, kill everyone. Not minimum wage. Average, full average. Time. The key word is average yeah. salary for a full-time 55? employee. You said 55? 55. Well, I'm a huge fan of the prices, right? I'm going 55 one. 55 Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> you, you win. That was not a hard bet Adam, to, to, to do, but I'm going to tell you what it is. Yes. Okay. It's... Oh, my God. I what? can't believe this is it. Way okay. higher? Okay. What is the minimum wage right now, federal in America? What's like the minimum seven wage? Seven bucks or something. Seven twenty. Seven, okay. Yeah. Some states want to take you to 15. Okay. Right. Pause it just there for a second. Yeah, I love how we're comparing an average full-time wage to the minimum wage that you're legally allowed to pay people. It's also seven twenty-five, by the way. Yeah. It's been seven twenty-five for 14 years. Yeah. Yeah, worth well, yeah, pointing out. Yeah, that's another thing that that it's it's worth that these people are you know the these are like our betters and they don't you know they have no idea like how people at the bottom of society live they have no you know it it, it yeah it's just that that's just kind of a funny aside that they know so little about what they're talking about um, but let's keep going. All right, so full time it's forty nine bucks an hour. That's a hundred grand a year, guys. Forty. That's a hundred grand a year. That's exactly what it is. The what? average full-time employee now at UPS gets paid six-figure salary. What? That's All right, the new. Vinny, let's get let, out of here. Let, let me go read to work this for you. What am I doing? I'm gonna read this. Yeah. Then go do it. You <laughs> do it. I freaking dare you to go work for UPS and make less money than you do right now. What uh I mean what a jackass. What a stupid thing to say. And completely disrespectful to the labor of course that UPS workers do and a lie. I mean a lie, a misrepresentation because there is no way. There's no way that this fancy boy is going to get his hands dirty working in the warehouse or driving a truck with no air conditioning for 60, 70 hours a week. Give me a break. Give me a break. Let's continue. Go. I'm going to quit after. Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. But hang on. You got to join. All the haters <laughs> in the chat that want me to leave. Bye. Uh, Bye. Bye. Listen. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Go do it. Yeah. Not even right about your figures, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's another thing. Not right about your figures, but, you know, go do it. Go do it. And then uh, and then come back and talk to us about it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just... And that's what, you know, I mean, that's what these people think about us. That's what people like that, people in the, you know, media elite, the corporate and, and you know, corporate media kind of stuff that's what people think about just normal working folks they think it is so crazy so crazy that an unqualified uneducated unskilled worker would make a hundred thousand a year oh you know that was their reaction to that while this guy, Patrick Bet David, $200 million net worth. 
Wow. And we'll talk about how he got his money in just a second. $200 million net worth. And he is laughing, laughing at the prospect of UPS workers making $100,000 a year. But his figures are not right, of course. As you know, if you listen to this show, unlike him, you know, I mean, that's like I said about the minimum wage thing. These people, they don't have the faintest idea about what they're talking about. They don't have a clue. UPS workers right now, and it's not even the average full-time. And there's just so much wrong. He said the average full-time is 49. That is not true. What he was reading, and actually if he had even read what he put on the screen, it would have made him think a little bit. Is it the average full-time right now? Because what he read on the screen said, the average full-time top rate will be 49. That implies that it is not 49. And he was reading from some article about the tentative agreement, what the condi- what what was in the tentative agreement. And the tentative agreement lays out that full-time drivers, the top pay, after a four-year progression, the top pay, not the average pay, the top pay after four years is $49 an hour in 20 20- 28. Okay? Not right now. In 2028. Right now, it's $42 an hour, the top rate, after a four-year progression. The top rate after a four-year progression for full-time regular package car drivers is $42 an hour. So you've got all sorts of package car drivers who are in year one, two, or three of their progression who are not making $42 an hour. You also have right now 22 fours, which is a second class of driver who make half, half of what the regular package car drivers make because they're in a second tier. <coughs> Fortunately, in this tentative agreement, that the tentative agreement allows for the elimination of 22 fours, but that's the status quo right now. Part-time warehouse workers make about half of what full-time package car drivers make, and warehouse workers make up two-thirds of the UPS workforce. So the idea that the average, the average employee at UPS, the average package car driver at UPS doesn't even make $42 an hour. Significantly less. There are UPS workers across the state of Alabama that are only making $15.50 an hour. Okay? I mean, yeah... these, they just have, they just, they have no clue. They're so, and they don't care. They don't care because they're, all they're doing is laughing at the prospect of a normal person making, making a wage where they can be comfortable and go on a vacation, maybe even more than once a year. They don't really care about the specifics. They don't care about whether or not it, it's even true. They just want the opportunity to laugh and mock the idea, the idea of a normal person like you making enough money to maybe go on two vacations a year and have a nice house and have a car. That's what they're doing. That's all they're doing. Uh, Let's listen to this second clip where he asked, and so, you know, you heard all this, they're surprised. They're so surprised. (coughs) And so let's tell them or let's allow them to tell us why they were surprised. What, what is the most shocking thing about this? You thought the number would be way lower. You thought that they they don't deserve this amount. What is, what is it that shocked you? I mean, you were shocked. You know, I you was, said 55, yeah. 000, so what were you shocked about? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked by the number. Yes. I don't well, know. How, how much would they too, have to pay you, Vinny, to wear the brown shorts it's exactly, and drive up a truck with it, no door and a flimsy seatbelt? It's well, exactly two times. Guys, can we have a serious I'm conversation? Sorry. It's exactly two times what you guessed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You said 55. It's $101,000. Okay, give or but take. That's average. Is that factor in CEO? Is that factor no, in? Okay. That's no, that's full-time employee. Just 49 wow. bucks no an hour. That's great. That's insane for this to take place. Okay, so now yeah. you say that's great. Guess what it means? Okay, yes, it's great. By the way, we can make that 490 bucks an hour. Yeah. What does it cost to ship something? Yes. Okay, yeah, that's where right. the money the comes from. The consumer is going to have yeah, to yeah, pay yeah. more. You, you are paying the raise. They're not paying the raise. You're paying the raise. So to us, if the consumer, like, let's, what does it cost right now, Rob? Go and see what it costs to ship a, 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 a regular item. Just go <laughs> prices at UPS to ship anything, okay? Prices at UPS to ship anything. Let's just see what it comes up. Okay, zoom in. All right, so, uh, yeah, zoom in. If you, okay, right there. So check this out. One pound is $8.44, okay? Two to four business days. Two pounds, nine ninety six. Okay, guess what? Now, what if they say, "Well, we wanted to go to four hundred and ninety dollars an hour. We can make that happen. We just got to make it eighty eight dollars." Okay, now stop that. Stop that right there. He said, and this is another thing. And he he knows this. He knows what he just said is bullshit because he's a CEO. So he presumably, presumably, he knows about the fact. That labor is not 100% of your costs. (laughs) And so what he just said, he knows is a lie. He absolutely knows it is a lie. What he he just said is that if we paid these package car drivers $490 an hour, then that's 10 times what what the rate that they think it is. 10 times $49 an hour is $490 an hour. And so what he just did is he said, well, currently, rates are $8.40, and so it's going to be $80. He multiplied the cost by 10 because the wage increased by 10. And he knows even if you paid $500 an hour, the cost wouldn't increase by 10 because labor is not all of the, <laughs> this labor is not all the cost of the business. You've also got material costs. You've got, I mean, uh, oh my goodness, maintenance costs, uh, depreciation. There's just so many other costs that go into a business that even if you paid what would be an unreasonable wage of $500 an hour for a UPS package car driver, because that's that's not like, that would be more than the value that they create, right? That's more than the value, frankly, that than people like him create, $500 an hour. That's He does not create that much value in an hour, frankly. Uh, but even if we even if we paid package car drivers $500 an hour, your package car, your package rates would not increase ten times. It might increase like maybe five times, maybe six times. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going from forty-two to forty-nine dollars an hour. So what is that? What is that? Twenty-five percent? Twenty percent? Something like that. So your package rates are not going to increase that much, if they increase at all, frankly, because, remember, UPS made $13 billion in profits last year. So they've absolutely got money to pay the Teamsters everything that they wanted out of the current revenue. 
And they don't have to raise costs at all as long as they were willing to take a hit on the profits. They don't even have to decrease the CEO compensation, right? They just have to decrease the amount of money that goes right back into shareholders' pockets. That's all they have to do. Okay, let's continue. So this idea of, oh, day one, hey, consumer, you lost. Yep. Okay. And here we go again, like we've been talking about since we've been talking so much about the Teamster stuff. He is trying, just like mainstream media, he wants to think of your, he wants you to think of yourself as a consumer first, not as a worker, not as a member of a class of workers. He wants you to think of yourself as a consumer so that he can pit you against other workers. Right? Because uh, if UPS pays more because of the solidarity of the UPS workers, that's going to be good for them. But it's actually also going to be good for the community because all of that increased cost, instead of going into some ghoul's bank account in New York or D.C., it's going to be used in the community that they live in. So it's going to be better for the community. And also, it's going to be better for workers at other uh, logistics companies. FedEx is going to have to increase their wages to compete with UPS for workers. So he wants, to, he's trying everything he can do right now to undercut, to undercut the solidarity that the public is feeling with the Teamsters at UPS. Doing everything he can to undercut that solidarity to try to divide us from other members of the working class with which we share so much more in common than we will ever share with people like him who make money from their money. We've got one more clip where um, where he talks about, uh, let's see. What is it? That, well, let's just play this clip. I can't remember exactly what it is. In, in UPS, if you were to compare UPS strike versus Hollywood strike, which one they have to cave? I think it's UPS. They have I think to? You have to cave. Yeah. If 340,000 people go on strike, shipments yeah. are not coming in. Yeah. You, by the way, you know who the number one uh, uh, parcel company in America is right now? You know who the number one is? No, it's UPS. Really? If UPS missed this mark, that $30 billion in valuation goes to a whole different place, huh. which means UPS is sitting there saying, guys, we better freaking do something. Guess what Hollywood is saying? Fine. We got plenty of old movies. Yeah. We got plenty of stuff. Don't do it. It's okay. Yeah. They're yeah. still paying a monthly service. While you're not making any new movies, any shows, are you still paying Netflix? Are you still paying Hulu? 100%. We have are you to. Still, you have yeah, to. 100%. So, so the media companies on strike, they're not getting affected, but UPS had to negotiate. Wow. The union had to yeah. negotiate versus Hollywood. By, Bob Iger's like, look, it's going to cost a lot of people their house. Hey, listen, you motherfucker. <laughs> listen, you yeah, $27 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. You want to lose a house? Yeah, you wanna... There's three ways you can Ron, lose your house. Ron Perlman. Right? Yeah, Ron I know Perlman. Right. Yeah. So when, when, you, when you think about that part, you just have to know that strike is going to be very different for these guys than the other guys, but 49 bucks an hour. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know... The funny thing there is that he kind of inadvertently admitted like the whole game, which is that if UPS workers <laughs> did not work, what's going to happen to the valuation of the company? What's going to happen to the value of the company? 
going to go away. So who really creates the value of the company? It's the workers. It's the package car drivers, it's the warehouse workers for UPS. That's who do it. That's who create the value. And he's absolutely right that if UPS workers struck, the UPS would have to cave <laughs> because they don't have any other choice because they can't replace over a, a third of a million employees in time for a strike. Workers create all value. And basically, he just admitted it. <laughs> So that's kind of a that's kind of a funny thing, uh, you know. Something that you hear is that you know business people, uh, executive CEOs, the shareholder class, they are vulgar Marxists. They're just on the other. They're just rooting for the other team, right? They kind of recognize. <laughs> they basically recognize all this. They right. just, uh, you know, they just want to do everything that they can to fight uh, the people who create the value actually getting it. Right. Right. Um. So you know, while we're talking about this uh, UPS stuff. Uh, we're going to have time for maybe one, maybe two calls. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. Uh, if you are a UPS Teamster, um, we'll, we'll prioritize your call. So let us know in the chat if you want to call in and talk about this. Um, <clears throat> and, and so we'll try to take at least one call. But you know, while we're talking about UPS, I, I, I figure it's worth it for us to talk about a couple of the criticisms that we've been getting about our coverage and to that and then we can clip this and then i can i don't have to reply to comments anymore i can just i can just link this video and so they'll so that i don't have to spend the time because uh frankly it's silly a lot of the stuff that we're getting so you know the <laughs> here's one from early this week when we clipped the video of teddy ostro uh where we talked to teddy ostro about what's in the tentative agreement and we said that there are real gains here. Uh, and that's like just, I mean, frankly, you know, frankly, I mean, that's just a fact, right? There, it is on that question, it is better than the previous contract, right? And there's like no disputing that. Now, there's another question that's more important that is it enough? Is it as much as the Teamsters could get? Is it the most they could get? And I think that we've answered that we probably think no, that we think that there's probably more on the table and that um, whether or not the Teamsters want to get it, that's going to be up to their members. Whether they want to try to get it, whether they want to you know, take the, uh, take the action and try to get that, uh, that's going to be up to their members and we're going to support them in whatever, uh, whatever the decision that they decide to make. But the, the, that we do get some criticism just because we recognize that. There is a fellow who has been in our comments uh, who said in that one, at this point, Labor Valley Report is actively ignoring the voices of actual workers and is only propagating sellout bureaucrat talking points. They should be ashamed of themselves and ask themselves what side they're on because it's becoming clear to the viewership what side they're on. And that's just, I mean, that's just like, that's just not rooted in reality. It's absolutely not. We're actively ignoring the voices of actual workers by taking calls from actual workers and clipping every single call that we got from both, from every side of the spectrum, from the right. people who were vote no in a way, in ways that, that 
that we've been, you know, we've been up front that we think are, are kind of counterproductive. You know, I mean, that's it's in their right to do that, you know, and I'm happy to to allow them to say that on our platform. Right. Yeah. I think you we've know. tried to let folks, you know, voice their opinions and whether or not we agree or disagree with those opinions. And, you know, there are arguments that I've heard on both sides of this particular issue that mm -hmm. I have questions and concerns and critiques of. Right. And, and so we've allowed we've allowed people who are vote no and are so vote no that they're saying that the administration is a sellout and and all of this. And and and, you know, I just I I just don't think that's true. I don't think that there's really evidence of that, because if to me, if the administration was going to sell out, was going to purposely you know, purposely get less than the membership deserved, then all of that raising expectations would not make sense. That's just not what you would do if you wanted to sell the membership out. You know? I mean, it's just not. I, I think that's a very heavy charge. It and, is a very heavy charge. And, you know, and maybe this is zooming out a bit, but when you are attacking people personally, mm. um, as opposed to practices of those people or actions of those people or ideas of those people or arguments of those people, but no, the people personally, you know, that is another level. And I think you ought to really know what you're talking about yeah. uh, when you're taking it to that level because, mm -hmm. yes, there are people out there that are bad faith actors. There are people right. who are corrupt. There are people who are sellouts. There are people who have ulterior motives and mm -hmm. personal agendas. And we have to confront them head on when when we encounter them like that's that's real uh, mm -hmm. and that's part of it. But um, it's still that's very heavy to to accuse folks of being sellouts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you, you mm -hmm. ought to really know what you're talking about if you're going to level that charge, because at the end of the day, uh, aren't we all brothers and sisters in this movement? Aren't we right. fellow workers and members of the working class? And aren't we trying to ultimately strengthen the working class and build a better society for the working class? Now, if we're ultimately, if that's what we're all trying to do, that means on some level we have to maintain relationships and we've got right. to be able to work together and collaborate. And sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree, but a disagreement is not itself evidence of corruption or sellout or bad faith or anything like that right mm -hmm. and the um and that that point is important that that we're brothers and sisters we say that in our union meetings and we should believe it and therefore we if you if you actually take that to heart i do think you have to make why you have to give wide latitude for disagreement on issues um, right. I mean, and maybe it's just because it, I think to some degree with us personally, like we've been organizing in the South and it's very mm -hmm. difficult to organize anywhere. It's particularly difficult to organize in the South. You have to be able to have conversations with folks who have very different beliefs right. than you, who believe things that you strongly disagree mm -hmm. with. Uh, and who sometimes do and say things that you strongly disagree with. But you yeah. have to be able to survive. You have to be able to do that, much less yeah. to organize. And so maybe that's part of where I'm coming from with it. Um, you know, I've been involved in the movement for about a decade now. And, um, 
you know, sorry, I, I haven't sold out. Um, I just want to put that out there that yeah, I, I haven't sold out. Uh, I'm not selling out. Won't be selling out. Um, no one's paid me off. Um, no one's even tried to, right. honestly. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. I haven't gotten rich off this. Uh, I mean, it, like any actual, and that's and and you know, on the on the idea that that we have that we are selling out, like, and, and of course, you know, viewers aren't going to know this, but any analysis of <laughs> where we are versus where we would be but for our union activity is so silly the idea to think that we have sold out because you know we have given i mean i can just speak you know i well i i can speak for both of us we've given thousands of dollars to this movement right just to the, i mean even just to this show right. but also to other stuff and right. then hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of our time that is volunteer for the vast majority of it yeah. i have i have taken so much annual leave for union activity right not compensated by the union i couldn't even tell you how many hours it was um and I've paid for my own travel to do stuff. I have taken right. time to talk people. I have taken time off of work to study for grievances. You know, the, I mean, the idea that, that we have so is just it's it's silly. It's silly. And but but, you know, generally, like I said, I think we have to have wide latitude for disagreement if we genuinely consider each other brothers and sisters. Uh, and so but we've had we've allowed people and we've been respectful of them because cut because for people for the people that are leveling those allegations it does come from a real place uh, and it's not as if they are they don't have any reason for believing that because part-timers at ups have been shafted by the leadership and part-timers at ups have been shafted by ups uh they are paid much less they right. have much less security they have much less you know i mean it's just they've been shafted and 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 Sometimes they are ignored by the package car drivers who, you know, are have more control over the union. Um, and so, it, like, it's coming from a real place, of course, right? right? But but I do think, you know, and so, and that's why I'm, that's why I am respectful. And I do allow them to make that case if they want. And I just, I just disagree with it, even if I'm more sympathetic to the vote no. And then we've also had people who are saying their vote no that is more in line with kind of where we are. Like, we think that there's more on the table. And so let's go get it. Um, and then we've had people who are saying that they're going to vote yes, who have who've called in and, and said that, you know, I just think it's too risky. I don't think, you know, all, all this. Um, and we and know for a fact there are people who are on the vote yes side of things who have been displeased with our coverage right. and feel like we've been too critical of leadership or too critical mm -hmm. of the contract or, yeah. uh, you know, given too much of a platform to the vote no people. Right. So sometimes right. you just can't win. Right. Right. You, you know, you're you're too far left for some folks and not left enough for others. Um, you know, those kinds of things are just part of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're just working class folks in, doing the best we can in our labor movement, trying to grow our labor movement, trying to right. provide a platform for working people. And, you know, you're not always going to agree with everything we say, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to always agree with everything folks say inside your union. Uh, you're not going to it's just part of it, but you got to have healthy dialogue, right? And there's constructive criticism and destructive criticism. Mm, right. And, you know, like I know for this show, particularly, I I've received some constructive criticism 
uh, that I've taken to heart that I've thought was very helpful and, mm -hmm. you know, helped me to learn and grow or reflect, uh, you know, and that's different from just, you know, destructive criticism. Right. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, the name of our game in this movement is addition and multiplication, mm -hmm. not subtraction and division. Right. And so you got to always remember, like, which side of it are we contributing to? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. You got to have wide latitude for disagreements. Um, and if you're going to go to the level of, well, someone is actually a sellout, someone mm -hmm. is a traitor, someone is this or that, right. uh, on a personal level, like, and personalize it to that degree, you should have some evidence and, and you should have some good reasons to, to take it to that level. And, you know, one of the reasons that they're saying that, that, that some of these people have said that we are selling out is because uh, they're because they say that there's an overwhelming amount of vote no comments and people feeling, quote, spurned by this channel. And frankly, I mean, you know, we're addressing this, but the comments that are actually accusing us of selling out are, are very, very minimal, um, even though there are a lot of vote no comments. But there are a lot of vote no comments. That's there are fair a say. lot of vote yes comments. That's fair and to say as there well. are and we have pushed back on some of the vote yes comments because some of the vote yes comments have frankly been, I mean, honestly, even more disrespectful right. than the people who are accusing leadership of selling out because some of these vote yes comments who are coming from regular package car drivers who are at this top rate of $42 very an dismissive hour, towards very folks. Very dismissive. Right. Saying you know, so, you know, some of the stuff has been, oh, well, I had to do it, and so they should too, which is so silly and such an anti- Not helpful at all. Not helpful, not a union mentality. The idea, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like, people had to work 17-hour days. Does that mean that we should all have to work 17-hour days? It's so silly. Um, the uh, uh, They're saying that, you know, if you want to make full-time pay, you should work, get on full-time, not- recognizing that it is difficult it, it it takes a long time to get at, uh, to be a regular package car driver at ups and not everyone can be a regular package car driver at ups because of this or that reason or disabilities or whatever but they can be a warehouse worker and right and frankly the idea that package car work is so much more valuable than warehouse work does not make sense to me at all because you, it takes everybody. It takes everybody, and you can't, uh, you know, you can't deliver the packages if people don't put them on your truck, if people don't sort them, if people don't get them from the planes, if people don't, you know, if people don't put them on the planes. I mean, the idea that I, I do not understand that at all. The idea that that it is right and good that part timers make half the wage that full timers make, and then also the idea that just because you work part time. You should get a penalty on, you know, you, if you work part time, you get a penalty by virtue of not working as many hours, right? Uh, obviously, if you right. make the same wage as somebody working 40 hours a week, but you work 20 hours a week, you're going to make less money. Right. But then on top of that, there are package car drivers in our comments saying that in addition to making less money because they work less hours, they should make a lower wage, which, I mean, it just doesn't uh, make sense to me at all. It doesn't make sense to me either. And, and... It's disrespectful. It is not brotherly. It is not sisterly. It is not solidaristic. Uh, it's bad. And we have we have said such. Right. And we've pushed back very strongly. And I'm pushing back now. It's That's bad. That's honestly, honestly even worse than the vote no people who are saying that leadership is sellouts, right? Because, you, uh, you know, 
as much as I have a wide latitude for disagreement, even among people in leadership, you got to have more solidarity with the people that are in the rank and file than the people that are in the leadership. Right. And and there are package car drivers out there that are not doing that, yeah. that are belittling not helpful. their brothers and sisters in the warehouse. And it's gross. And we've said such. Um, and, and, you know, so we're and, and actually we if somebody said that, if somebody got on the line and said that we would push back and we would we would we would shut that down, actually. That would be one place where we would shut it down. But we've allowed people to say voting yes. And there's, I don't know if there's as many of those disrespectful package car drivers as there are vote knowers, but there's a lot. And the idea that it's just so obvious from our comment section, which again is not a representative sample of UPSers, people that find uh, clips of the Valley Labor Report on YouTube, you know, not a representative sample of UPSers, obviously. Right. Um. And and so, you know, so so there we go. And then also they said it is very neutral of us to paint Sean O'Brien as a hero when we covered the yellow situation. Didn't paint him as paint him as a hero, painted yellow as the villain, which was accurate. Um and and then they said we we haven't posted any clips of the callers about that were vote no. And they said the clip they commented that on Tuesday, which we release clips every day of the week. You know, I mean I mean, I don't know. There are people that just want to disagree. There are just disagreeable people. There are people that have an imaginary, you know, uh, a vision of us in their minds that yeah. they just want to, they just want to be upset and they want to be mad and you know, whatever that's right. right. Yeah, exactly. Some folks just want to be mad on the internet and yeah. that's okay. And sometimes folks want to just, uh, gripe at strangers on the internet and be mean to them. And that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like if that makes you feel better, <laughs> if that gives you some kind of dopamine rush or whatever, yeah. then, you know, you do you. Um, but out here in the real world, if you're trying to organize, you know, it's, it is sort of a different situation. And so I, I hope that the conversations happening among teamsters in their shops at, at the warehouses and, uh, among the drivers, I hope it's a, you know, a healthier dialogue than, right. uh, some of what we've seen in our comment sections, yeah. that's for sure. And I also definitely want to lift up some of the comments we just re received on YouTube, which is that solidarity doesn't mean everyone agrees. Right. It means standing mm -hmm. and sticking together. And that's, exactly. that's absolutely right. Yeah. You look out for one another, you protect one another, you fight for one another. And it's kind of like, you know, you have arguments inside the family mm -hmm. and then there are arguments outside the family. Right. And, and there's a difference. Um, that, yeah, that's another thing. I am much more willing to be more biting in my critiques when I'm not on the radio. Right? When I'm with my union brothers and sisters, I'm willing to, you know, there are some right, things yeah, that I'm more candid about. things that you and I have talked about in terms of this Teamster situation that we're not going to say publicly because it's not going to be very helpful. Right. Uh, and, you know. Again, it bears repeating, we aren't Teamsters. We don't work mm. for UPS. Mm -hmm. We are labor union members who obviously have a, an interest as working class activists. But, you know, by definition, we're outside observers. Uh, so any perspective an outside observer has is going to be different than a perspective a UPSer has. Yeah. And as you illustrated, perspectives within the UPSers can right. be vastly different depending right. on where they sit in that, you know, in that hierarchy, more or less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there uh, we go. There we go. There we All go. Right. Um, well, let's take. Uh, we've got one call. We've got sure. infinite content on the yeah. line. Let's take it. Uh, we we do have to. We got to run. Adam, you got to be somewhere at two. Yeah, right? I gotta, do. I do have so. a shift this afternoon. Uh, working with IATSE this afternoon. So uh, yeah. So we'll going to be quick, but we'll, we'll uh, take a call though. Infinite content 
Thanks for the call. Uh, what's on your mind, brother? Let's run through. Let's run through real quick. Um, first off, the first thing that people need to understand is compromise means that nobody gets everything that they want. Correct. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I have four brothers and four sisters, so I understand about compromise. And okay, I, I can't get all the things I want, and that's right. what some of the um, people need to understand before they even start uh, trying to analyze anything about entities, union, negotiations. Nobody's getting everything they want. Bosses are giving up money. Um, the um, the workers are giving up concessions. However, the most important thing that needs to be understood is that bosses have to recognize that they need to start putting more value into their most important parts of their corporations, which are the workers. Right. Because uh, you have stakeholders, you have the consumers, you have management, but the workers are, if the workers aren't working, you know what that means? Nobody's making any type of money. Mm -hmm. Right. Secondly, uh, you all have a whole hour and a half clip that you all put out about uh, UPS workers specifically calling in. And I specifically did not call in for the past couple of weeks. So I can let the um, UPS workers uh, speak their mind. And you all know that I would call again every week, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, thirdly, Jim Cramer whining about, uh, talking about, oh, this guy is so dangerous. I'm like, well, <laughs> you better hope that um, UAW and uh, Teamsters don't link up with um, Sean Payne so they can go ahead and unionize all the uh, Amazon warehouses. Because... I see uh, that that's something that's on the uh, table right now, that mm. all the Amazon warehouses are about to get unionized. Pour myself a couple of uh, water right now. Yeah, the, but, I know the Teamsters are definitely fighting hard with the uh, with Amazon, and, and their picket has spread uh, across the country. Um, you know, they, they started with the drivers and... Um, but yeah, we need to get those warehouses unionized for sure. Um, you know, but so if you get far, the, uh, slow. But. See, here's the thing: if you get the uh, drivers unionized, oh, you you hit a critical part of their uh, logistics chain. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, now, how is that? Alabama and Mississippi actually have more progressive um, history standards than Florida. Is that oh, true? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure that's true. I, well, I think uh, it is. Uh, 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 they, they, do they actually? They actually aren't teaching that uh, slavery was um, taught uh, beneficial skills like Florida is. Right. Yeah. Mm. Florida has taken it to a whole other level. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, like I said. I just had to give you all a quick rant. Um, my birthday was uneventful, but nothing is one of my favorite activities to do. And I'm just glad that I'm uh, I'm 48 as a black man in the U.S. and have no uh, no criminal record. And I I've had uh, oh actually every time I've interacted with cops, it's never been good. Uh, except for two times in my life, once when I was 32 and once when I was um, 27, because I think the most, the best uh, interaction I ever had with the cop one time was 
I was working at Subway, living in Tallahassee in about 1996. Out comes in, it's like 8 o'clock in the evening. I'm about to close up in about an hour. Con comes in, it's like, oh, well, you're, uh, I see you're working by yourself. Aren't you worried about getting robbed? I'm like, look, they robbed the store, they robbed the store. Uh, right. I'm not uh, fighting them. But then I looked at him like, sir, I see that you're wearing a bulletproof vest. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what if they go for a headshot? Let's go that <laughs> thing out. Uh, and I'll leave, leave this call off. Y'all have a good night. Appreciate you. All right, brother. Thanks for the call. I hope you had a great birthday, yeah, man. Yeah, happy birthday, man. Absolutely. I need to get one of them, um, you know, infinite content in the chat said that we were taking a book, uh, a page out of Sam Cedar's book by not getting uh, not getting calls today. And uh need to take another page out of his book and get like a, get. we need a soundboard and we need a lot of good sounds and we need something for like a celebration. Yeah, like yeah. Like a horn or uh, a... Yeah. I don't know. That'd be great. Or a kazoo. Something like that. We'll try to get Ben on that. All right, folks. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, really we've got a few time. plugs here uh, at the end. Uh, let me get the plugs going. Um, I did want to shout out that Labor Notes has some online trainings. Go to labornotes.org slash events. They have Race and Labor, Caucus How-To, and Secrets of a Successful Organizer Workshop Series. Definitely recommend that. Uh, August 8th will be a Town Hall Tuesday with Alabama Arise, Building on Our Hope. Uh, so go to alarise.org to register for the online Town Hall. Uh, also wanted to plug my appearance on America's Workforce Radio this week uh, on Thursday, August 3rd. And uh, definitely check that out. And also appearing on that episode was Dave Jameson from the Huff Post mm. talking about his five-part series on yes. union busting. We have to. I've been seeing that. So Such that was good cool. stuff. We that need was to cool. Get him on I was really show, glad yeah. like that. Yeah. That he was also the other person on the episode. Mm-hmm. That that's really neat for me. Because uh, yeah, I, I found that really fascinating. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, thought it, I thought it went well. really appreciate Flash and the America's Workforce team for the opportunity and, you know, letting us talk to the audience there. Um, and, yeah, while you're online, just go to tvlr.fm, sign up for our email list, check out our merch at the store. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to leave us a voicemail throughout the week or a text message throughout the week at 844-899-TVLR. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the Valley Labor Report. And uh, last thing I will say is that, again, you know, we put out all this content for free. And it really takes contributions from folks to be able to sustain the operations uh, mm-hmm. between labor costs, between uh, production costs, and radio air airtime, like the paid programming, commercial radio time. It all adds right. up. It, it it does it cost. And so uh, we definitely could use more sponsors. We could use more individual donors. So if you already give, please know how much is appreciated. And, yeah. and we really do appreciate it. And it's helping us do this project, which we believe in. Um, uh, but if you can afford to contribute, please give whatever you can. TVLR.FM slash donate. If you're a member of a union, you're a member of an organization, Please talk to the board, the executive board, the treasurer, whoever you need to talk to. Ask around. See if there's interest in running advertisements on the program. Uh, We're happy to work out any kind of deal, uh, custom packages, whatever we need to work out to, you know, find the right kind of advertising package for your organization to meet your objective, meet your budget. 
Uh, so definitely just let us know. And um, yeah. oh, yeah, we were in the Alabama Political Reporter this last ah, week. Yeah, yeah uh, that's right. Almost forgot about that. Yeah, shout out Patrick Darrington uh, with Alabama Political Reporter. He uh, put out an article on Monday about the Valley Labor Report and our growth and our audience and the just all the exciting things happening around TBLR as well as the labor movement in general. So appreciate y'all tuning in this morning. Thanks, y'all.